0: Welcome to another episode of The Good Lion Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Higgins, and today I am without my buddy, Aaron Silvato, because I'm sure as you are as well, we are very caught up in the busyness of summer. Each of us have had vacations and youth speaking events and conferences that we've been heavily involved with, but we didn't want to just simply go away for a while. So to help fill the void as we're creating more of our traditional content, Today's episode is going to be a teaching that I shared at the church that I used to work at, Calvary Chapel Old Bridge, about community. And it's a teaching that I wanted to share because we are in a strange season, in many ways coming out of the pandemic, where our typical rhythms of community have broken down and the rebuilding of them has felt very strange. I know that I've sensed a lot more pulling away from typical social communities. I've seen even a lot more jokes about not wanting to be with other people and wanting to pull back and I'm not trying to say I know your situation or I know your level of introverted versus extrovertedness and I'm certainly not saying community needs to look exactly the same for all people. But this message about community is titled, A Mess Worth Making. The whole thing that I'm trying to communicate in this particular teaching is that even though community can be sloppy and at times painful, it is necessary. And it is one of the tools that God wants to use to shape us to be more like him. And even for all of its hurts and pains and problems, community is one of the great blessings that God gives to us. So this message is about motivating us to push beyond those hurts, to get out of those ruts, and to lean into this incredible tool that God wants us to use. So I hope that it encourages you and it blesses you and that it sort of fills that gap in the meantime as we get back to creating more of our traditional episodes with interviews and different theological deep dives. So let's jump into that teaching now and hopefully leave this time a little more motivated and a little more energized to deeply engage with the incredible tool of community that God wants to use to shape us to be more like Him. If you were here with us last week, you got to hear uh, Pastor Jay Falzerano give a bit of a definition of what community is, talking about how community is something we find in the very nature of God, in the, in the sense that our God exists in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so before anything was even created, God was existing in perfect community already that he was already enjoying presence with himself as hard as that can be to imagine. And now we are called to live in community with one another, to be a people who understand each other, who care for each other, who look out for each other and all those different things. But I think that at times the prevailing attitude towards community is very similar to some advice my dad used to give me. When I was younger and I would go out and play football or play soccer and invariably do what young boys do when they're playing football, land on an elbow funny or come back with a shoulder that was hurting a little bit, or particularly like if it was something where I could move it in a certain way and it would hurt. You know, when you're a kid, you just keep doing it to see if it'll keep happening for whatever reason, instead of stop doing the thing that hurts. And so I would go to my dad and I'd be like, dad, when I move my elbow this way or whatever, like it really winds up hurting. Or when I move my leg that way, it really winds up hurting me. And every time before my dad would actually figure out whether or not I was okay, his advice was always the same. Well, just don't do that. Just stop moving your arm that way. Why do you need your shoulder to do this or like whatever ridiculous thing I was trying to do? And the logic is foolproof. If something is continuing to hurt you, it's obviously not something that you want to continue doing. And when it comes to community, I want to simply ask as we get started, has anything really caused more pain? Has anything caused more hurt than the times that community has broken down? You know, a lot of the scars we bear and a lot of the pain that we hold on to has come from the fact that in times past, community has failed us. The people who were supposed to be there for us weren't. The people we counted on weren't worth counting on. The people we thought were trustworthy were people we shouldn't have trusted at all. There are many instances where community has hurt us and failed us in the past. And so naturally, when it comes to community, we go on the defensive. And we start thinking, I'll come and I'll I'll check out your service thing. But who are these people that want to talk to me? Like who, what what question are you going to be at? And, And we go on this defensive trying to make sure that we're going to come out of it. okay. The interesting thing is that reaction first happens in the Garden of Eden the moment after the first sinful action occurs. After Adam and Eve are, are deceived by the serpent and after they disobey the only commandment that God had given them at that point in time, immediately the first thing that happens is they recognize their nakedness, their own vulnerability to one another, and they immediately start to cover themselves. And so there's this shame reaction. There's this, I don't want to be open and vulnerable before you. But not only do they apply this to one another, they apply it towards God. In Genesis 3, it would tell us that they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is something that makes sense to us. I know for me, naturally, that when I've done something that I knew wasn't right, when I've done something that I know is going to cause an inconvenience to somebody else or something that's going to prove hurtful in somebody else's life, my first reaction is to cover that thing up. It's to try to hide it from that person for as long as I can. Naturally, we try to cover the sinful things in our lives. But what's so interesting to me is after they finally meet with God, after they finally begin that conversation, the first thing God does is curses the serpent who deceived them. And the second thing he does is deliver the first prophecy of Jesus has come. He tells us in Genesis 3.15 that there will be enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, and you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. The first time where the Lord promises the coming of a Savior. So the conversation they were hiding from was actually hiding from the help they most needed. And I want to offer tonight that community is the tool that God wants to use to help us grow in him. I've grown because of a lot of different things in my walk with Christ. But the thing that has grown me the most is God using people in community to help me see things clearly, to help me overcome sinfulness, to help me understand more of God's word. It has been community that has been most influential in my growth. And so as we talk about some of the benefits of community, that while certainly community can be a mess, it is also a mess worth making, what we're going to do is we're going to focus around the character Jonathan. We're we're in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 14. I have you guys turned over to that. And to catch you up a little bit, in 1 Samuel 13, everything begins to look bleak for the nation of Israel. Uh, Their first king Saul becomes disobedient to the ways of the Lord. He begins to follow after his own path. He begins to uh, be disobedient. Obedient to the commands of different prophets and other rulers. Uh, The Philistines are rulers over the Israelites at this point. Uh, Saul is told by the end of chapter 13 that though his kingdom would have extended forever, it will be cut short. And there is also a moment where it tells us that in all of Israel, because of the Philistine rule, there's two swords in the entire nation one is held by Saul and one is held by Jonathan. So not only is their king on the way out, but they have no ability to overthrow the ruler that's over them. And in this moment, Saul, we find in chapter 14 that he's bleak and he's down about the situation. But Jonathan in verse 6, 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, it says that then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come and let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, the Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So Jonathan looks over at his armor bearer in this moment and says, Look, who knows what God wants to do? We know we're God's people. We know that God can do anything. He doesn't need a huge army to overthrow these Philistines. He can do whatever he wants. Let's let's just head over there and let's go see what happens. Jonathan has a faith in God that's willing to work. A faith in God that's willing to say, let's risk it. Let's put it all on the line. Let's see what the Lord might do in our favor. Now, before I started studying this passage, I used to think that the armor bearer was literally just the guy that held the sword and then, like, became the cheerleader afterwards, where he would just, like, hand it over and be like, You go, bud. Like, you get him. But actually what would happen is the armor bearer, beyond holding the sword for Jonathan in this particular case, the armor bearer had a five-foot tall shield, and they would kind of work in tandem together. If you're looking for a sports illustration, because that makes everything easier in my mind, uh, Jonathan is like the quarterback, and the armor bearer is like the center. His job is just take all the hits that Jonathan shouldn't have to take. That's his role. And now he's hearing from The guy whose armor he bears, let's go over and let's let's attack some Philistines by ourselves. Let's just go see what happens. You know, best case scenario, uh, he gets to die with Jonathan in that battle. That's probably the best thing he's thinking. Worst case scenario, he's either a prisoner of the Philistines or he comes home and has to tell the king, hey, I kind of maybe sort of let your son die. Like there's no good outcome for the armor bearer when you just hear, let's go over and see what happens. But in verse seven, he gives this incredible response where it says, so his armor bearer said to Jonathan, do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. Now, if I'm the armor bearer, my response is probably not this, but the armor bearer essentially says, let's go for it, man. Let's, you know what? If the Lord's putting that on your heart, I'm with you. I'm going to stand beside you. I'm going to take this risk with you. And more than that, I'm not going to let you take this risk alone. This armor bearer decides, you know what? Your plan might sound crazy, but God is in the business of doing crazy things. Let's see whether or not this is what the Lord wants to do. See, when it comes to community, it's always going to involve taking a risk on people. We're never going to be able to have real community unless we take real risks on each other. And Jonathan's armor bearer here, he is a great example of being willing to take a risk because of something the Lord was speaking to somebody else. What goes on through the rest of chapter 14 is they go up to the the garrison of the Philistines and they have this little system where they're going to see whether or not the Lord is calling them up and the Lord opens the door, they go on up, they fight this garrison of 20 Philistines, they defeat them all, and then the Lord does this incredible work. Of earthquakes and the army of Israel is rising up and they're looking around and they're seeing Philistines running and they're saying, the Lord's delivering us this day. And they rise up and they go and they start taking swords out of Philistine hands. There's confusion going on. And the Lord ends up working this great victory for the people of Israel. So much so that in verse 23, it would say, so the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle shifted to Beth See, one of the first benefits that I want to point out of community is that you get to be a part of bringing God's plan to God's people. Imagine if the armor bearer is scared. Imagine if the armor bearer says, I don't think that's a great plan. I I really don't think that's a good idea. He could have slowed down the deliverance that God wanted to accomplish for his people. By simply shooting down his idea, by simply saying, that, that, that's terrible, I'm not going to be willing to go with you. I'm not willing to take that risk on you. If, by simply shooting that idea down, he could have totally crushed Jonathan's spirits. He could have stopped Jonathan from taking that risk and potentially could have slowed down the Lord's deliverance of his people. In the, on this passage, the commentator David Guzik would say, God was going to use Jonathan, but he wasn't going to use Jonathan alone. When God uses a man, he always calls others around that man to support and help him. They are just as important in getting God's work done as the man God uses. God calls community around each one of us because those people are going to be an important part of bringing God's plan about for the people of Israel specifically Israel in this situation, for each one of us, God's going to accomplish his plan of giving us more of himself through the community that's around us. And then the second benefit that I see here in this passage is you get to share in other people's joy. When we think of this story, we don't simply think of the, the victory that Jonathan brought about for Israel. Obviously, it's a victory that the Lord brought about. But this is the battle that when I think of it, it's the battle that Jonathan and the armor bearer brought to happen. It's the two of them together in the fight. When we are in community, we get to share each other's joys. And joy has a way of multiplying when it's shared. You know, this passage reminds me that of in Third John, when John would say to the people he's writing to, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He's saying he's looking at his own people that were brought up in the ways of God by him and they're experiencing the joy of community with God and he says his greatest joy is just to know you share in that joy with me. Joys multiply when they are shared together. So joys have a way of multiplying, but on the other hand, when it comes to community and the messiness of it, sorrows have a way of dividing. Flip a couple pages to the right and you'll get to 1 Samuel chapter 20. At this point, David has been told by Samuel that he is to be the next King of Israel, that he is going to lead the people. And essentially he's just being told, wait out Saul, just give it some time. We'll, we'll see what the Lord does. And David is having difficulty with this waiting. We learn in chapter 18 that it tells us the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, that they have for, for a very long time been seen as the example of biblical friendship. And it, one of the things that goes on in their friendship is David is beginning to feel Saul's too crazy. Saul's going to lose his mind. Saul's throwing spears. I'm not sure I'm safe in his house. I think I need to get out. And Jonathan keeps trying to reassure him, oh, just give it time. You know, he does that sometimes. He's a spear thrower. No big deal. Like, we'll get over it. It'll all be okay. Like, we'll all be able to move forward together. And it reaches the point where Jonathan says, here's what I'm going to do I'm going to go talk to my dad. I'm going to go see what he says about you when I bring you up in conversation, and then we'll meet out in this field, and through this secret code, I'm going to tell you whether or not you're safe or whether or not it's dangerous and you need to run. And so earlier in chapter 20, Jonathan talks to Saul about David. Saul loses his mind and starts making accusations against Jonathan, and Jonathan realizes very quickly that he's about to become the bearer of bad news to his friend David. He's about to tell him that the the things that you thought were happening, they may not happen. The the things that you thought you had here in the land of Israel, they they may not actually be yours. It may be a messier situation than we originally thought. And so in verse 41, after Jonathan communicates to David through the signal that um, this is not a safe place, you need to get out of here, you're in danger as long as you stay near Saul, it tells us in verse 41 that as soon as the lad had gone, one of Jonathan's servants... David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. See, part of community is that not only will we bear each other's joys together, but we will bear each other's sorrows together. And as much as it's easy for me to think of David as mighty warrior, ruling king, man after God's own heart, we also see many examples that prove that David was a man who knew how to mourn. In Second Samuel chapter one, when Jonathan and Saul pass away in battle, uh, David gives us this incredible poem of mourning. This very long, drawn-out, you know, "Tell it not that Jonathan has been slain." Like this huge, dramatic poem mourning the loss of his friend. Uh, in Second Samuel chapter twelve, after he had sinned with Bathsheba and the the child takes ill. Uh, while he's praying for that child, it tells us that he he fasted for a week, and when ultimately that child had passed away, his advisors were so worried about his mourning, they thought, if he's not eating while the child was alive, what's, what's going to happen when we tell him the ultimate news? What, what's he going to do? David was a person who knew how to mourn. He felt grief, and he felt it deeply. And so I wonder, in this moment, he's being told, essentially, I can't help but wonder if he's thinking, maybe those promises of God aren't going to pan out. Maybe I'm not going to be the king that I was told I was going to be. Maybe God isn't going to make a way here the way that I thought he was going to make a way here. There's probably all sorts of questioning and confusion. And I can't help but wonder in this moment, what keeps him from really losing it? And I think it's the fact that verse 42 exists. Because in verse 42, it says, Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. Real small verse, seemingly very insignificant verse, but in the moment of David's need, Jonathan is able to say to him, look, I'm here for you. And I know the Lord is going to be here for you. Let's just see what the Lord may do and let's trust him going forward. I think it's important to note that Jonathan does not give David an answer for why. He's not able to fix David's problem. He doesn't come to David with a plan saying, oh, but if we do this and if we just tweak this one little thing, trust me, Saul will love you. I promise. Like he doesn't do that for David. Instead, all he's able to do is just say, well, I'm here for you. And the Lord's here for you and I'm not sure what he's gonna do next but we're just gonna ask the Lord to do his work in his time and we're just gonna trust him you know sometimes we want to be able to fix people's difficulties but sometimes that's not what they need I think the third benefit I want to point out tonight of community is that sometimes it just reminds us of reality you know, sometimes when we're in difficult situations, sometimes when we aren't having things go our way, simply having somebody else's presence reminds us that God's presence hasn't left yet. Sometimes just having another person there, not even saying anything, not even doing anything of, of huge value so it would seem, just, to, just sometimes another person is all we need. Just somebody who's able to sit there and say, I- I'm going to go through this with you. It reminds us that Hebrews 13.5 is still true. When God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Community is a great reminder of the reality that God is still at work, even in the most difficult situations. And the fourth benefit I would bring up is that sorrows go from impossible to bearable when they're experienced in community. The same way that joy has a way of multiplying in community, sorrows have a way of dividing within community. And it's not that sorrows become fun or easy or anything like that. I would never wanna look down on some of the difficulties and the trials that may be represented in this room right now. But I'm telling you that in community, the things that seem impossible can very suddenly become bearable. You know, what happens right after this is David goes on to to flee from Saul. He does what he has to do, and he becomes a leader over many men. What would happen right after David flees from the presence of Saul and heads out into the wilderness is he becomes the leader that God is going to use as a mighty ruling king. And perhaps what he really needed from Jonathan more than anything was just a reminder that God was still there for him, so that he could get the strength to keep going through what God wanted to put in front of him. In the book *A Tale of Three Kings*, going through the life of uh, David in particular, uh, the author would say that King David, or King Saul, I should say, sought to destroy David, but his only success was that he became the instrument of God to put to death the Saul who roamed about in the caverns of David's own soul. What looked like destruction was purification. And Jonathan, by being able to help David bear that burden, he gave David a little bit of the strength that was necessary to keep going through that road of purification. I want to make one last point as I close and as we get ready to respond in worship, and I'll ask the worship team to come up at this point. I want to simply say that when we talk about the messiness of relationships, For each one of us, the messiest relationship you have is the one you have personally with Jesus Christ. There is no messier relationship that we can be a part of. There is no greater uh, difficulty in relationship that we can have than the difficulties that Jesus went through to have relationship with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 would tell us that he became sin who knew no sin, So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Put a slightly different way, he became and took upon himself the messiness of our lives so that we would be able to enjoy perfect community with him. If you're looking for the example of one who is willing to deal with the messiness of relationships, it's Jesus himself. And when we're willing to take risks on people, when we're willing to give ourselves over to people and say, you know what, there may be times where this is painful. There may be times where this hurts. There may be times where the situation in your life doesn't make my life easier. But I'm going to reflect the image of God anyway by choosing to partake in community with you.